punch. Uh, let me tell you, how, how's, how's everyone doing? I mean, we, you, you dig yourself at a yet one more snowbank this morning, and I am so proud of you to be here. You are a stalwart church. I mean, this is tough. March, snow, dark, depressing. This is as hard as it gets right here. So I thought, you know, what a pick-me-up to preach on a parable where people get beat up and killed. I am delighted that every single one of you are here. I I am excited to what God is doing um, in our midst. I'm excited and delighted to hear testimony, story after story. Um, where people are growing and they're becoming more and more conformed. And it's tough. When we grow, we get stretched and we get those rough edges chipped off. Um, But God is doing some amazing things and we are thankful for that. Has anyone driven by the building recently? I drive by like a thousand times a week just because I end up and there's no walls there. I, I thought about that. You know, we really want to be a transparent church where we just kind of everything is laid open. And I thought, I'm almost ready to move my books in. Like, I think it's kind of cool, to tell you the truth. David, David said that he, he saw the temple completed, although he, it really wasn't done. Uh, let me encourage you to pray every single time you drive by. Every single time, pray for the work that's going on. Pray for the workers. Um, and we look forward um, to God allowing that simple tool to be used for his glory and for the work of the gospel in this community. We need to pray um, first and foremost, just dedicate our time to the Lord um, before we, Lord willing, uh, learn together. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you uh, for this time. Once again, in your grace, you have given to us another day to be together. Uh, Lord, what a, what a delight. Um, your creative, the, the design of your creative beauty on display this morning. Um, we thank you for that. We thank you for bringing each person here safely on slick, slippery roads. Uh, Father, I, I thank you for your word that is now opened up before us. And I, I pray, Lord, for help and, and guidance from you as I seek to teach and explain and preach. Uh, the full weight of the good news that exists in the name and the work of Jesus. Father, I pray for um, individuals that are um, here this morning or perhaps listening at this moment to this message or whose hearts need to be encouraged. This is, this is a tough time of the year. And there's people battling illness and, and sickness, um, loss of loved ones, recent surgeries, uh, unknowns, unseen, um, in the workplace, troubles and turmoil in homes and and even marriages, um, in families. God, we we just ask right now that you would minister to us. You would just remind us of who you are, what you've done, that you've got a plan, and help us, Lord, this morning through the power of your spirit to trust you. Lord, help us to lean in and listen and learn and leave here knowing, knowing the, the glory that awaits and the hope of, of heaven. 
May we live and breathe understanding the joy of your forgiveness. We love you. We thank you for loving us. Speak, Lord. Please guard my mind and my mouth. May everything be for your glory and your glory alone. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. Amen and amen. Okay, um, before we get into these first 12 verses of Mark chapter 12, a little bit of review, just by way of where we had been the last couple of weeks, a little bit of tension. It's say that there's a little bit of tension between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. Um, the Jewish leaders that are comprised of the priests, the scribes, and the elders, they, they make up the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. Um, to say that there's a little tension is a bit of an understatement. The Pharisees are enraged at every level in, in, in the core of their inner being. They are furious and they hate this one Jesus, particularly because his recent actions, as we know, that he went in, he just cleaned house, okay, in the temple. And so they were frustrated, they're furious with him. Last week they tried to challenge the authority of Jesus by trapping him in a question uh, to create a sense of doubt between the ministry, the message of John the Baptist. And what did Jesus do? He, he didn't just stump them. He silenced them. We would use the term today that Jesus schooled them in every way possible. They're, they're just like, oh, they're so fed up. They just want Jesus gone dead out of the way. And we know that this is Passion Week. This is Wednesday. And we do know that this confrontation is going to end, what, on Friday with the crucifixion. But we know the story. Praise God that what, what, what follows, we celebrate it in just a couple of weeks. I can't wait. What follows the, the crucifixion but the resurrection of Jesus Christ where we know we know how the story ends. We know that death will be defeated. The grave will be opened. Think of this. Regardless of the depth and the darkness of our own sin, the price will be paid through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and a debt will be settled. That's what we celebrate at Easter time, the resurrection. Forgiveness is extended and the hope of heaven can replace the horror of hell. The, the full purpose we know of Jesus will be fulfilled. We know that. We have the story. But it's this moment right here. It's this moment today. Jesus is standing before his critics and, and in his grace, he gives them yet one more opportunity. To, to recognize the wrong and Lord willing, repent from it. What Jesus does, he does it by telling a story. Oh, how we love stories. If, if I were to right now kind of begin with this, once upon a time, a long, long time ago, on a dark, stormy night. You guys, what? You like lean in. You listen. You got, we love stories. They help us connect and relate. They help us learn and understand. I have to be careful. I love to tell stories, but I have to be careful oftentimes. 
Because people remember the stories. I hear more. I hear more about Oreo cookies and Fig Newtons than I do about the cross and about Christ. I have to, we have to be careful with stories. But Jesus oftentimes uses stories, and he is what he is the master storyteller. The stories in Scripture referred to as parables, and today we have what I call a parable with a punch. I want you to note this. This is a literal punch that you will hear about. Now, now parables are what are designed oftentimes to be understood by the audience, by the listening audience, with a purpose to explain spiritual realities or, or kingdom truth, divine truth. Now, there's no doubt that if you have studied the Gospels at all, listening, learning to the message of Jesus, there are some parables that are challenging and difficult to interpret. And Jesus intentionally does that, in a sense, what? To shroud the meaning of them from some people listening and offer it, extend it to others. Sometimes there's parables in Scripture that are very quickly and easily explained. In the Gospel of Matthew, 11 different times you hear this. In accordance with the parable, the kingdom of heaven is like. There's what? There's a pearl of great price, a treasure in a field, and talents, and a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like. Matthew 13, 18, 20, 22, 25. This particular parable today, in, in, in Mark chapter 12, there's no explanation. And the reason that there's no explanation is that it doesn't need to be explained. It is that clear. And it is that easy to understand. Okay, here it is. We read the text. Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Follow along as I read. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard, and they took him and they beat him, and they sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head, and they treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. 
They were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. We read the text and we explain the text. Here we go. Number one, this parable with a punch, number one, speaks about a rebellion by the workers. Number one, this whole parable, it's pretty obvious. It just surfaces right to the top. It speaks about a rebellion by the workers. Verse one, it says, and he began to speak to them, them in parables. Just by way of observation, who's the them? He, Jesus is speaking, speaking to them. A lot of times Jesus has his disciples close by and he's speaking specifically to his disciples. He's not speaking to his disciples. Disciples are here, they're present, they're listening, but Jesus is speaking to them. He's speaking about the Pharisees. This, this is not a lesson for the disciples. It's a lesson for the Pharisees. Jesus is teaching a story, a parable, to teach what? A spiritual reality. Kingdom truth, divine truth. But to understand this parable, you, you perhaps, you guys probably know this already, you're a brilliant group, but I'll remind you and refresh you a little bit about the social structure, the social situation that existed in first century Jewish Galilee where this took place. There can be a landowner. He owns land. You could refer to him as a landlord. He could own a large piece of grounds, property, a large estate, or a vineyard, such as the case right here. And in his absence, the landlord would hire local tenant farmers, or perhaps you could refer to them as peasants we read about in history. And they were the ones to work the land, to cultivate it. That's exactly the case that's happening right here in this little parable. It's very, very simple. It's very, very clear. The owner owns and the workers work. Keep that line, okay? The owners own and the workers work. Now, Jesus, as the ultimate storyteller, captures the audience's attention. And I believe the Holy Spirit captures our attention this morning, even with this parable written, what, some 2,000 years ago. And our attention is drawn in, why? Because, because it is about, and it's revealing the absolute outrageous behavior of the tenant farmers or the workers in this story. Now, just so you understand the characters in the setting of this powerful parable, the, the owner of the, the vineyard, the owner, the builder of the vineyard is who? Is God. It's pretty, it's pretty clear. God builds, he creates everything. God owns everything. So first and foremost, in understanding this, the owner and the builder of the vineyard is God. The vineyard, in this particular context, is the nation Israel. Or to you and I, it can be the world around us. The workers or the tenants, the peasants, are the Pharisees, the ones whom Jesus is speaking to. The servants that have been sent are very clearly what? Ones who are speaking on behalf of the owner. They are the prophets that God has, has sent throughout the years. And the rejected son, the heir that is killed, is the one that is telling the story. 
is Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself. So think about what's happening here. Jesus is telling the very people that are going to kill him that they are going to kill him. And you say, well, Jesus knows this. He's God. He knows everything. This is the reason, this is the purpose that he was born. He came to die. It's not a surprise to Jesus, but what is a surprise right here or what? The Pharisees that are hearing through the teaching of Jesus in this parable, they're hearing what's going to happen to them. What is this parable about? It is a parable of judgment. Directed first person to what? To those Pharisees that are, are listening. The parable is directed towards those that reject Christ, whether or not it's the Pharisees or anyone who rejects Christ. It speaks about the consequence and the judgment of rejecting Jesus. Now, this is, this is all pretty clear. Let's look at the story. A man planted a vineyard. We kind of understand that. It says that he built or he put a fence, think of a, a, a wall around it to keep out the, the, the invaders, the marauders, the bad guys. It says that he dug a pit, kind of think of a vat, a place for pressing the grapes. It says that he also built a tower. This is a watchtower that someone could climb up to the top and watch, look over the fence to see if there's any of the bad guys that are coming. It's all pretty clear. It says he leased it to tenants or he hired workers to work the land and he went into another country. Some translations say that he went on a long journey. Understand this, all journeys of that day were long. They walked everywhere they went. If they didn't walk, then they rode on the back of a camel that was walking. Every journey was a long journey. He's going to be away for a long period of time, but it's okay. Why? Because the owner, the builder, has done very wisely everything that needed to be done for production and also for protection. Well, he's got, he's got the vines, the vineyards growing. He has the, the press ready to go. He has the wall to protect, the watchtower. Everything is there to guard from anything that would attack them from the outside. But what happens, the problem is this. There's a rebellion, there's a revolt, not from the outside, but there's a revolt or rebellion from the inside. Not only is this whole thing pretty clear, it's actually pretty common. Read history books and history is just littered with people who have revolted or rebelled. A revolt by tenant farmers is certainly nothing that was unusual. How many people are like, yeah, yeah, I, I know I took this job, but I really don't like this job at all. Yeah, I don't know whose idea it is. This is like really, really hard. Think about a mutiny on a sailing ship years ago. Think about what? Servants riot all over the place. Employees strike. 
Students don't like how they're being taught, what they're being taught. They're going to revolt. They'll have a a sit-in. Do you remember those? See, it's very common that those under authority always want to be in authority. Exactly the case right here. Difference is, this gets like nasty, like really, really violent, bloody nasty. It says, when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vine. It makes perfect sense. It's his fruit. It's his grapes. He can get whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. But they, the tenants, they took him and they beat. The word, the interesting, the word, um, the Greek word for beat there is dera. It actually means, it literally means to punch. Okay, this is a parable with a punch. You ever been punched before? You ever been punched in the face before, guys? Ah, oh, man. Most of the time we probably deserved it, to tell you the truth. But I mean, it stings and it kind of rocks you. This is exactly the case here. And it certainly was not a punch because he deserved it. He didn't deserve it. I think that we could see what, what's unusual here. Not necessarily the idea of a rebellion or a revolt from workers who are unhappy. What's un- unusual here is that the landowner sends what? Servant after servant after servant after servant, especially when it just ends in such violence. Look what it says in verses 4 and 5 again. He sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head. They, they, they treated him shamefully, and he sent another in him they killed. And so with many others... The the landowner just kept sending servants. Imagine like being given that job. Guys are coming back bruised and beat up. Oh yeah, you're next. And they go in obedience, knowing what? Some they beat and some they killed. Are you serious? Like, wait a minute. The whole idea here, like there's an element, it almost just, this, this landowner apparently is unlike any other. Yes, he is. He's completely unlike any other. Apparently this this landowner like really, really, really wants fruit from those vines. Like it's really important to him. Yes, it is very important to him. And so this is, this is where now the whole tone begins to turn here. It's where the whole story, we see it's parable with a punch. It speaks about a rebellion by the worker. Secondly, what? It speaks about a rejection of the heir. It says in verse 6, he had still one other. He had sent servant after servant after servant after servant. And it says what? He still had one other a beloved son. Finally, he sent them to them saying, they will respect my son. Now, I I don't think I have to spend a lot of time trying to explain the difference between a servant and a son. 
Let me tell you this. There's a huge difference between the two. Okay, positionally, one does what he's told. The other one, what? The other one is part of the family, belongs to. There's a huge distinction between your hired hand and your very own child. There's really, you can't compare a a son positionally. I I think of when I was young, my dad, he was in a, he directed a large Christian camp and conference center and busy, busy, crazy busy and people um, would have to schedule time. It was normally a scheduled time to go meet with the director. And, and, I, and I always thought about the fact, you know what? Never once did I ever schedule a time to meet with my father. Never. He would not want that. And I actually prided myself in the fact it doesn't matter who he was meeting with. It doesn't matter where he was meeting I was his son, and I took full advantage of that. I would walk into any meeting at any time, and I love this. I knew where he kept the candy in the top right-hand drawer. It's the same place I keep the candy in my desk. It's just like, that's your father. This is the idea here. Surely, surely they will respect my son. And yet what happens here? What happens here? The, the ruthlessness of this revolt. And in all honesty, the condition of hearts that are in rebellion are revealed here. They are, both of them are on full display. Listen to this. Those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Think about it. They were probably in the watchtower that the owner owned, that the builder built. It's not, they're, they're up there and they're probably watching and they're like, yeah, he's dressed a little bit better than everybody else. We know who he is. That's, that's the boss's son. That's the owner's son. That's the builder's son. He is the heir. We see the what? We see the rebelliousness of hearts. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. All of this. Oh, the, the thoughts that abide and exist in our own hearts. It's on display here. Look what it says. It says they took him, they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. They, they, just, they, just, they just beat and killed and tossed the body. And, and we see what all because, what? Greed. The son is dead. And it's, it's greed, in a sense, is just bubbled up and, and taken over. It's about personal want and personal gain and pride and self-interest and just brute, brutal strength. All of those things kind of surface to top. And for a very brief moment, it, it sounds like, and in all honesty, it looks like, what, just for this, it looks like the bad guys win. And I hate it when the bad guys win. Whoa, 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 this is what? This is a parable. This is a story that is meant to teach. I want you to know that everything in this parable that Jesus 
is teaching stems from verse 9. The question, I, I actually repeated, I read it twice when we read it. Here, here it is, everything stems from this. What will the owner of the vineyard do? What will the owner of the vineyard Well, we, we know that the owner of the vineyard is God. And we know that God forgives. So regardless of, of the depth or the darkness of whatever has happened, he offers forgiveness. And so we think, well, what is, what is the owner of the vineyard going to do? He's going to forgive. Wait, wait a minute. He offers forgiveness. But this is a parable with a punch. And it's a punch to the face for every single one of us. Jesus is telling a story with the purpose of teaching truth to those Pharisees who are rejecting him and the light bulb is slowly beginning to go on. The Pharisees are listening to him. They're they're face to face. They're toe to toe. They want him dead. They want him killed and they will kill him just as the tenants killed the heir. Jesus answers the question here. What will the owner do? Listen very carefully. He will come and destroy. He will come. And yeah, but this is God. And God always forgives everything. For No, no, no. He offers forgiveness. But you need to accept his forgiveness. If you reject his forgiveness, what is, what is happening here? He will come and destroy the tenants and he will give the vineyard to others. What he does here is he adds significant weight by quoting a text from the Old Testament. These are religious leaders. They would have lived and died, okay, from the Old Testament. And they quote a man that you would think that they would respect, David himself, from Psalm chapter 118, verses 22 and 23. And he quotes, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. What is this idea here? Like we're, we're, we're like vines and vineyards and grapes and grape. Like what is now? Now we have a cornerstone. Listen to this. Ray Pritchard says this, and I quote. The image comes from the ancient quarries where highly trained stonemasons carefully chose the stones that were used in construction. No stone was more important than the cornerstone because the integrity of the whole structure depended on the cornerstone containing exactly the right lines. If the cornerstone was not exactly right, the entire building would be out of line. For that reason, builders inspected many stones, rejecting each one until they found the one they wanted. Rejected stones might be used in other parts of the building, but they would never become the cornerstone or the capstone, the first and the last stones put in place. Pritchard says this. He's a pastor. I love him. He says this. Do not be like the builders who rejected God's stone of salvation. And then he repeats it. Do not reject Jesus Christ. Brings us to our third and final part of this parable with a punch. What? Number three, it shows a reaction to the truth. And they seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. They're always afraid of what other people are going to think. That they're going to lose the cred. People will follow Jesus instead of following them. Fearful of the people. For they perceived 
that he told the parable against them. They perceived correctly it was about them. So they left him. They left him. They rejected him. When truth is presented, when the word of God searches out the hearts of men and in a sense exposes the what? The very motive from within. Remember what Jesus is doing here is telling the story for you and I to listen and learn from, from the, the Pharisees. In a sense, they rejected him. And so we hear that today and we're like, wait, wait a minute. What, what does this mean for us? There's really... There's really two reactions that are possible and both of them stem from one question that I want to ask you as we close this morning. Two reactions from one question for you from this text. What will you do with Jesus? Truly, it's really, that's the essence of it. You cannot... You cannot miss the full weight of the gospel. And I appreciated um, the class. Mark did a phenomenal job in our class, just reiterating the, the full weight of the gospel. And, and, and he talked very clearly about part of the gospel. Okay, if, if, we, if we address the fact that there is a holy God, but we do not address the fact that we are sinful men then you have no gospel. There's, there's, there's no reason, there's no need to be saved unless you recognize and understand you're a sinner. Now think about this. What, what, is, what is the biggest dilemma that we have, okay, as we share the good news of Jesus Christ, that people can be saved from their sin? What is, what is the biggest dilemma that we hear? What we live surrounded by people. Don't ever tell me I'm a sinner. Don't tell me. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I can do whatever I want and dream big and accomplish this and be all you can be and all that garbage and all that slop from the world. That, that, no, the, 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 the weight of the gospel must include the message that we are sinners. And when, when people get to that part, the same truth that Jesus was teaching, as he was even revealing this to the Pharisees right in front of them, what, what do the majority of people do? It says, wide, broad is the path to destruction and narrow is the way of life. The majority of people hear the fact that they are sinners and they do exactly the same thing that these Pharisees did with Christ and they reject him. So we have to understand, we have to what? One of two reactions. One is repentance. Recognize that we are sinners. I, I tell you what, you don't have to convince me. I just, I know the battles. I know my flesh is weak. And, and, and I know that apart from the spirit, it's just, it's just gross and gunky in there. So our reaction is repent from that, accept the truth that we are sinners and fall down our faces in conviction. But the other, the, the other response is to reject and just walk away. And what? And in a sense, you don't live at all. You reject the cornerstone. You reject the air. You reject the message and the full weight of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have no hope of 
heaven, you only have what? You are left with the horror of hell. You understand, this is like, and I know, like, it's a cold, dark, miserable March day. Okay, like, you know, and so this is a really hard message in many ways to hear, but we need to hear the truth. Like, do you realize as you share the good news and someone rejected that person, unless they come again, unless they come and accept and receive that forgiveness, do you realize that you can be going to school, you can be on the same team with, you can have neighbors, you can have family members, that if their life was taken and snuffed out, that immediately they would face the horrors of hell because they've rejected the forgiveness that is offered? How that should drive us, how we should be on our knees in prayer and just weeping for those that are rejecting. Pray for them, that God would draw them unto himself, that they would recognize the truth, fall on their knees and accept the forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says it like this in verses 20 and 21. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Realize that if Jesus is the cornerstone, that he allows us to be like little tiny stones that are part of this temple that is being built for his glory. And we we do that by recognizing, I love the fact that today we can just, we can pause and remember the communion supper, the communion table that we offer to everyone. And what a great reminder that says when we accept this, when we, when we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we are accepting the forgiveness that Jesus offers. If there's someone here today that has rejected up to this very moment, and if you, if you, if you are staunch and you stand in that rejection, I want nothing to do. I do not believe that Jesus is the only way. I don't want to be rude. You may be a guest with us, but I'm going to ask you very politely and respectfully, please don't take this, like just to impress the people next to you. God sees your heart. God knows. But, but maybe at this very moment, you realize that you have been rejecting. You've been, you've been, you've, you've been ashamed to admit the fact that you're a sinner in need of a Savior but the Holy Spirit has spoken to you to remind you of that, then accept his gift today, this moment. Accept the forgiveness that has been offered for your sins and for my son's sins, that we understand that Jesus Christ paid the debt that we could not pay by offering his life, by having his body broken, his blood poured out on that cross for you and for We know that this message was of such significance. It was literally within a day, two days of the parable that was taught that Jesus was sitting in the upper room with those disciples and he took some bread and showed it to them. And the way that there's significance to an object lesson, to see something, to smell something, we hold on to that memory. Jesus took bread and he showed it to the disciples and he tore it apart. And as he tore it, he says, this, this is a picture of my body. This is what's going to happen to my body. My body is going to be torn apart. 
torn apart, broken. That's exactly what happened. We also know that Jesus took the fruit of the vine, the fruit of the vine. It's a picture of his blood. And he poured it out and he said, this, this is a picture of my blood. And this is going to be poured out. This will stain and soak into that wooden cross. And this blood came from one that lived their entire life without any sin. Imagine, not one thought, not even one sinful thought. It says that Jesus was the lamb without blemish. He was perfect. And that's why his blood can wash away our sins. We, we regularly, as a church, we are, we are commanded in, in Scripture, Paul says, that every single time we drink the cup and we eat the bread, we, we do this, what? As, as a reminder of what Christ has done until he comes again. At Big Woods, we do this the third Sunday of every single month. We regularly do this. This is for believers if you are a believer, please accept this as a reminder of what Jesus Christ has done. I'm going to invite the elders to come up. They're going to serve you. They're going to serve you the, the bread first. We'll pause, ask God's blessing on both the bread and the cup, and then they'll serve you the cup, and we will take that together as a reminder of what Christ has done. And after we take that, we will sing a hymn and praise God and thank him for what he has done for us.
Would you pray with me? Father, as our heads are bound before you, we, we do that, Lord, as a sign of our submission to your authority. You're the creator of all, the builder of all, the sustainer of all. We thank you that you have created us to reflect your glory and your created in your own image. We delight in that. Father, we understand and recognize as a result of the fall, the condition of our hearts, what we are deserving of. And this moment with this bread in our hands, as we are about to drink this cup, we are reminded of who you are and what you have done. And we pause to say thank you for loving us to the extent of offering your own son. Father, by taking this, we acknowledge our acceptance of the forgiveness that is offered. And we thank you for that. I thank you for that. Father, I would pray that this would be a reminder of those, Lord, that are rejecting and that as we have this taste in our mouth, that it may motivate us to pray for those that are lost, that are running away from, that we would pray that they would be drawn to you, that they would accept you for who you are. Thank you for this reminder of your body and your blood. Thank you, Lord, that it is a perfect picture so that we never forget the price that was paid for our salvation. And we thank you for that. We ask you to bless it now. In your name we pray. Amen. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, says that he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
every single time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And oh, how we look forward to his coming. It says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Stand with us, please, as we close.